0: Last Sunday morning, we looked at the lives of Abel and Enoch and Noah, certainly fairly briefly, and today we are turning to focus on Abraham, and we'll be with Abraham for the next two or three Sundays together. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder was God. And last Sunday morning, when we started Hebrews chapter 11 and we focused on Abel and Enoch and Noah, I said similar things. I mentioned to you here were three incredible individuals who were willing to dig deep, who were willing to have God shape and mold and fashion their character in order to complete all He had called them to. And each person, and we're going to see this in subsequent Sundays that we come to in Hebrews chapter 11, are in terms of great saints of the faith being both inspirational and aspirational. In fact, Hebrews 11 is called the Portrait Gallery of Faith, and on Sunday mornings over the next few months, as I mentioned, it's almost as if we come and stand in front of a portrait of these spectacular individuals and ask, what can we learn from them? What are the principles that encourage them, strengthen them, equipped them that we can take and seek to apply to our own lives? And so, that's where we're going. And this morning, in fact, earlier this week, Several folks had contacted me, a couple in conversation, others in email, saying, Richard, I enjoyed your opening uh, study last Sunday morning. I really appreciated you putting up four bullet points at the end. I couldn't write them down quick enough. Two of them I really wanted to get and I didn't get. Can you tell us again next Sunday morning what they are? And so, that's been on my mind this week, and I thought, yes, I can certainly do that, because if A handful of folks are saying, I need to hear it again. Probably we all do. And so, I'm using these as two principles that will run throughout the book of Hebrews, and the first was this. It was not that they had an extraordinary faith, but rather faith in an extraordinary God. And that's a principle worth jotting down and reminding ourselves of regularly as we work our way through Hebrews 11. Second principle was this. God is not asking you to figure it all out. He is asking you to trust He already has. Now, think of that. And when those challenges and burdens and circumstance become at times too much and they threaten to overwhelm you, you can put them down and trust He already has it all worked out. So, that's kind of where we were last week. We're about to see it again here as we come in to look at Abraham. And as we come to Abraham this morning, he is an absolutely remarkable figure. And the New Testament talks about him at great length. And two summary verses, which in many ways highlights exactly who Abraham is. One comes from Romans, the other comes from James. And in Romans 4 11, we read, Abraham, the father of, of all who believe. So, in other words, we look to him and ask, what did, we, what did he have in terms of a relationship with God that we can learn from? And James, which we spent several months on earlier this year, writes of Abraham, he was a friend of God. Now, think of that, a friend of God. Now, most of you know that having not been brought up in the South, Ruth and Michael and I arrived here in 2007, and I'm sure I've told you this before, so please forgive me if this is a little too repetitive, is that whenever we see folks from the South meeting for the first time, they will take the first five or six minutes of a conversation to establish their pedigree. Now, let me explain what I mean. When they meet together, they'll say, oh, you went to Warford. Oh, you went to Clemson. Oh, you went to South Carolina. Oh, yes. Do you know Professor Watson? Do you know Professor Smith? Yes, we had him for whatever the class was. And then they'll say, yes. Do you know his brother-in-law? Yes, they live three doors along from my Aunt Gracie and her husband. Do you know them? And then the conversation goes off in all sorts of tangents, establishing who you know and the people you have in common. And so, once your pedigree is established, then the conversation moves to a whole deeper level. Now, why am I mentioning that? Well, I'm mentioning it for this reason. Can you imagine someone introducing you and saying, let me introduce you to Tom. Tom was in medical school in Charleston. Oh, yeah, my uncle Frank went there. Yeah, my uncle Frank, do you know him? He's a friend of God, wouldn't that be a conversation? And more importantly, what if it was said about you, a friend of God? And that's why Hebrews spends multiple verses looking at Abraham, a remarkable individual And notice what the Scripture tells us. It begins, verse 8, "'By faith, Abraham.'" Now, let me pause for a second, and I made this point a couple of seconds ago, and certainly last week, that the phrase, by faith, runs throughout this entire chapter like a refrain from a poem or a song. We see it, verse 8, by faith. We see it, verse 9, verse 11, verse 17, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. It goes on and on throughout the entire chapter. Just look at it down. By faith. And what we recognize, of course, is that when God calls an individual, for the first time that individual understands exactly what faith is. And that's what happened to Abraham. Abraham was 75 years old before he encountered God. Now, think of that. At 75, most of us, our life is over. We have established patterns of behavior and upbringing. We're moving into our retirement years where we can rest and enjoy and relax a little. But for Abraham, it was only beginning. And think of that. Talk about a surprise. It's the greatest surprise of his life when God calls to him, Abraham. And he draws him into a relationship with himself. And God is now, for Abraham, no longer some distant deity, no longer some higher power, but he is in a relationship with Abraham. And Abraham is absolutely overwhelmed. And he's given a new heart and a new mind and a new soul. And that's what happens when God, through the pages of Scripture, calls into our lives today. It's not unlike Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee, sees the fishermen. He knows what he has in mind for them, and he says, "Come and follow me." And their lives are utterly changed. Understand, please, the spectacular, providential, sovereign, creative power within the call of God to waken the heart and mind and soul and give spiritual life. That's the power of the gospel. That's the power of the call of God. And Abraham was to discover that intimacy with God was a living reality. And that's why we study this passage, because it is made up of real people and actual events. And here is God at work. And then he says to him, as the passage tells us, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Think of that. Can you imagine the conversation Abraham had with his family and friends? First of all, he would have to tell them that now he had a relationship with God for the first time in his life, and you can imagine his family being a little skeptical and cynical and saying, excuse me, and then looking at each other and saying, well, he's 75. Last week, he told me the same story three times we know what's happening to Abraham. Just give him time. It will wear off. He's heading to the memory unit. Don't, don't, don't worry too much about it. It's just Abraham. It's a, it's a phase he's going through. And then he tells them that he's moving, and he's taking his wife, Sarai, and their family, and off he is going. And he's leaving his past behind. Because when God begins to call you into a never increasing relationship with Him, He often takes away from us the things we have come to depend on the familiar, the known, the routine, the everyday, and He strips them away so that we will depend on him and him alone. And Abraham sets out from his home in ancient Babylonia, and he heads to Ar of the Chaldees. It's an area in ancient Near East called the Fertile Crescent, and Abraham is right there in the purposes of God's redemptive plans. And people are looking askance and thinking, Abraham, what on earth are you doing? And he was right at the heart of the will of God. And please notice what Abraham was commended for. It was the same thing that every other person, excuse me, that every single person in this passage is commended for as well. And they're commended for, and we said this last Sunday morning, they're commended for their faith not their character, which God was molding and shaping and creating and refining. But it wasn't their character they were commended for. It was their faith. It wasn't their temperament. It wasn't their personality. It wasn't their leadership skills, spectacular as Abraham's needed to be. It was his faith, and his faith, faith was that one unifying characteristic that binds every person in this chapter together. It is the driving momentum of their life. It is that mighty, energizing relationship with God that defines who they are. That's what is going on here. Now, you may be saying, Richard, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I have a question or two, and my first question is this. Richard, if I remember rightly, Abraham was 4,000 years ago. He came from an agrarian culture in the Middle East. We, however, live in the 21st century, In downtown Greenville, we live lives that are dominated by smartphones and social media and digital playgrounds. We are not even similar to Abraham in any way, shape, or form. How on earth does all of this apply to us this morning? Richard, give me something I can hold on to. Give me something I can live out this week that I can learn from Abraham. Well, let me try. You've heard already this morning that we are about to enter into our capital campaign phase two. And of course, you're also saying, well, Richard, how t- what's that got to do with Abraham? Well, be patient with me. Give me a minute. Because Abraham, by faith, set out going, yet not knowing six years ago when we started talking about and dreaming and praying and asking for God's assistance as we put together a capital campaign and a strategic plan. We stepped out in faith, going, not knowing whether it would, we were able to do it or not, and then on Easter Sunday, which seemed entirely appropriate to me, we had our first worship service in our new worship and arts building. And now we have a new children's wing and a new youth floor and a spectacular gymnasium and a worship and arts center that is just spectacular to worship in. Last Sunday morning, we had 30 new confirmands, 13 to 14 years old, commit to living for Christ in the Ignite service. We'll have new members. You saw some of this morning coming through in every service this morning. Last Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, right there, Claire baptized three wee ones, and I was so glad it was Claire because I would have messed it up. I'm sure I would have. Here was Dad standing with children in each arm, and I would simply have gone automatically, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and baptized Dad as well. I'm sure I would have. And then I would have looked down and found another child and thought, I've messed it What have I done? We are running out of Sundays for baptisms, for wee ones I have two next Sunday morning at 8.30. What does that tell us? It tells us that young families want to be a part of who we are. They are seeing faith being lived out. They are seeing a congregation who, by faith, are going not knowing. A congregation who are saying, we want to be a church for all ages and stages. And God in His faithfulness has been right alongside us every step of the way. How many times on Sunday mornings have we said over the last few years that as a congregation we seek to provide opportunities for people to encounter God in all of His beauty and glory through engaging, life-transforming, corporate and private worship. Worship for us at First Presbyterian is a priority. It always has been for the last 175 years. It always will be. It is the natural outcome of a spiritual income. Worship is important. It is compelling and engaging when we meet with God. Please don't ever forget that. Don't fall into the habit of thinking it's just church, it's anything but. Together, as a congregation, we spend time in His presence. Secondly, we intentionally, excuse me, want to be a warm, welcoming spiritual home for all age groups. I want our children and youth growing up, seeing 70s and 80s and 90s around the corridors and in the pew on Sunday morning, and I want them growing up saying, I want to be like Him. I want to be like her because you're living out faithfully your faith. Thirdly, we want to continue being a church that is life-giving and life-affirming. What do I mean by that? A church where we ones are welcomed. They feel it is their church. Youth are comfortable being here, happy being here, but also as a congregation, we will tackle tough and difficult subjects when they come up. I'm about to do it in a couple of weeks' time where we're about to look at sexual issues in society. I will give you maximum heads up because we don't want we ones here that Sunday morning. We will never be graphic. We will never be salacious, but we'll deal with the issue, and we'll deal with it in a gracious manner our job as Christian people is not to attack. It's not to be strident or aggressive, but to take a biblical stance and do so carefully and graciously and prayerfully. And when we can go along with an issue, we will. And when we can't, we will say so. And we will tackle it in a manner that is life-giving and life-affirming. When Jesus said, I have come to give you life and life to the full, we believe that. We know it to be true. We are convinced that the Christian life is the fullest, greatest, most pleasurable life it can be because we walk with Him through it. That's the point we're making. We also say that as a congregation, we will seek to develop opportunities for intergenerational engagement, again, between youth and adults, children and adults, and that will be intentional. Young families are important to us. Seniors are important to us, all ages and stages. So much so, that when we intentionally equip people to live out their faith, we will do so amidst the demands and distractions of daily life in a 21st century context. I've just touched on that. We will prayerfully seek to transform the spiritual heart of the city. Now you may be saying, Richard, hold on a second, I hear what you're saying and I like that we say that, but I'm not sure what this means. In fact, Richard, if I could push back just a second, and please forgive me for this, Richard, this is what I would say. When you say As a congregation, we prayerfully seek to transform the spiritual heart of the city. Richard, that is in danger of coming across like a tagline for raising finances for a new building. What do you mean when you say that? Be specific. Spell it out. Help us to understand what you mean when you say that. Well, here is what I mean. When we say we are prayerfully seeking to transform the spiritual heart of this city, it means this. It means, as I said moments ago, that when young families want to be part of this church, we are step by step, slowly seeking to transform the spiritual heart of the city. When confirmants, as I mentioned, come into taking a step of faith, we want to be there for them, seeking to transform the spiritual. Heart of the city. Last December, excuse me, I'm going too far here. Last December, when we have our shoebox appeal, we raised hundreds of shoeboxes to give to children in the third world. And in those developing worlds where Parts of the world where children have nothing, we as a congregation are saying we want to make a difference. That's what it means to change the spiritual heart. That's what it means when we say at Christmas time we have an angel tree project. We're involved with Hollis, an elementary school, to say we will provide classroom buddies for kids and reading buddies for kids. And at Christmas we're going to purchase gifts so their parents can buy a bicycle at five or $10 to give them on Christmas morning. We are making a difference as a congregation. When the overcomers come here and act as our choir on a Sunday morning, those men have just come off alcohol and drug addiction. We are making a difference. We're seeking intentionally, prayerfully, to change the spiritual heart of the city. We do it when we're involved in child care and in adoption. We do it when some of our men get together and sit down with people coming off in drug and alcohol addiction to help them with interview skills, help them to write a resume. Folks, when we say we are seeking to change the spiritual heart of this city, it is not a tagline for raising finances. Please do not treat us with disdain. Pray for us. Join us. Make a difference. Step out in faith. Going, not knowing. Here is a congregation who cares about the city. Here is a congregation who prays for young families. Here is a congregation making a difference. That's who we are, and we are that by faith. this week. You'll receive in the mail a small brochure, choir. Let me see if I can let you have a little look at it. There it is. It gives us an update on where we've been over the last few years, and it tells us where we're going over the next few years. And it's incredibly well done actually. And with it is a commitment card. And the commitment card is there for our use. And my appeal to you this morning is this, that when you receive it in the mail this week, be thinking prayerfully, carefully, how you can help phase two. Phase one, we raised just over, or excuse me, it's better to say just under $23 million. Phase two, we're seeking to raise 15. And incidentally, during the quiet phase of phase two, which has taken place over the last five, six weeks, $3 million has already come in. Folks, God is at work in our midst. Our job this week is to prayerfully say, how can we commit next Sunday morning at the end of the service, just as we do in Stewardship Sunday, we have an opportunity to step forward and say, for me and my family, we're committed to supporting who you are and all we are doing as a congregation. That's the challenge before us, and let me close with this. During capital campaign phase one, several people who gave well over $100,000, well over $100,000 invested, committed financially, knowing they would never set foot in our new building and several of them have passed away. Now, slightly tongue-in-cheek, and please forgive me for this, my Scottish blood would not let me spend a penny on a building I would never use. It just wouldn't, just wouldn't but here are people saying, by the grace of God, He has blessed me. He has encouraged me. He has equipped me to live out my faith, and He has given me one blessing after another, and I want to take what He has given me and invest it in a new generation. And they were going not knowing. That's faith. That's what it takes. And just between us, I cannot wait to see what God will do in the future. And I think when our wee ones and our youth grow up, get jobs in various parts of the United States, and leave Greenville, settle down in a new community, my trust and prayer and hope is this, that they will say, I want to be part of a church like first breath. May God grant it to be so. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for the challenge of this passage this morning. And for those of us struggling in our faith this morning, enable each of us to rest in Him and trust that He has already figured it out, for those of us who believe that we can only live if we have we can only live with him if we have extraordinary faith remind us that faith the size of a mustard seed in an extraordinary god accomplishes great things and father finally this week convict challenge encourage each of us as we enter into phase two of this capital campaign, that all that we might do would be for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.